as a kid, I was a fan of Superman. I would come home from school to watch the uh, reruns, you know, probably 4 o'clock in the afternoon, old black and white reruns on old black and white television, and uh, no special effects to speak of, but I still thought it was pretty cool. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Yes, it's Superman, that strange visitor from another planet with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. It's Superman who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who disguises Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. That's the way every show opened up, and then there'd be a big American flag flying behind Superman. He was only American superhero after all. The Superman myth does build from the story of Jesus, actually, in the movie Man of Steel, because, yes, I saw it, um, we see Clark Kent having a conversation with a priest, and, and, and in the background is a stained glass picture of Jesus right behind Clark Kent. The directors wanted you to see, not so subtly, yeah, that's, that's a connection that we're making here. Jesus is not Superman, and Superman is not Jesus. Jesus is real, and Jesus does have all power all power in his hands. And Jesus is greater than the troubles that we face. And Jesus is greater than the mess that this world is in. And Jesus is greater than our economic problems, our health problems, our emotional struggles, and whatever else that we might find ourselves getting into or whatever the devil throws out at us. And because the Lord Jesus is greater than all those things, he is worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our trust because of what he said, because of how he lived, Because God the Father validated the ministry of Jesus by raising his son from the dead. Amen. Amen. I thought when you say raised from the dead, that's not like an everyday thing. I, I thought that that would be a moment to say amen. Because, I mean, who do you know that's risen from the dead? Jesus. (laughs) That would be the one. (laughs) The resurrection of Jesus seals the deal. The first people who heard Mark's gospel read to them were facing persecution. They were Greek-speaking Christians in Rome who were facing the pressure that Emperor Nero was doling out. So crazy Nero was the one responsible for the martyrdom of both Peter and Paul. Nero started the great fire of Rome in, 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 in AD 64, which he blamed on the Christians. He used the forebears of our faith, our sisters and brothers, as human torches to light his gardens. And the pressure on the early Christian believers was no longer just from local Jewish leaders, but it had spread more broadly throughout the empire. Pressure was coming from the government. Imagine our early sisters and brothers needing to be reminded that they are not alone in their troubles. Imagine people who have never met Jesus face to face needing to be encouraged. Imagine that they need to be told over and over again who Jesus is and what he can do. And then consider our families, our friends. Anyone who may be tempted to spiral down into depression and despair, consider that they need to remember. We all need to remember just who Jesus is and that he is more powerful than anything that anyone can throw at us. Now, we just heard Pastor Bob read from chapter 5, but today we're actually going to look at four stories in the Gospel of Mark that Mark weaves together quite purposefully. 
We just don't have time to read all of them. But the first one occurs at the end of chapter 4. It's a familiar one about Jesus sleeping in the boat. It's familiar to some Christians about Jesus sleeping in the boat. Now, I, don't, I don't have time to read all of it, but I will. That's a short one, so I'll read, part of, I'll read that one to you. It's four, chapter 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also others, other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I was traveling into Kansas the first time in the Midwest uh, at being an East Coast guy. and I was with another pastor from D.C. and we were going to a conference out in Kansas. Remember, we rented the car and we're driving in the middle of flat land. And it was, you know, he's telling me it's tornado season. He used to live out that way. And I said, tornadoes? I'm like, I've seen movies. <laughs> so I said, what happens if, like, a, to- a tornado comes? I was like, what do we do? He said, well, you know, you pull over to the side and get down the ditch. And I'm waiting for more. Like, there's got to be more to it than that. So I was like, is the ditch just there so you can pray? Because I need something, you know, a little more substantive than that. But tornadoes scare me. And then we had our family out in California one time. And I, long story, but we had to cross over that Bay Bridge. And I remember there was an earthquake in the Bay Bridge and the cars tumbled. Into, I, I was nervous as a cat driving my family across the Bay Bridge. And it was rush hour. I'm like, come on, people, get across this bridge. Because if something happens, we're all going down. And I realized I'm scared of earthquakes. I'm scared of tornadoes or earthquakes. And then, then Hurricane uh, uh, Katrina devastates New Orleans. My, my daughter, one of my daughters and I, we went down to clean up after the, after the hurricane with a group of people. And I'm like, I'm scared of hurricanes. I'm, I'm realized I'm, I'm scared of a lot of stuff that, that nature can dole out. Before we turn the storm in the story into a metaphor, because that's what we do, you know, we preach it and the storm is the storms of life. Before we get into the metaphor, let's not ignore what Mark actually tells us. There really was a storm that's freaking out people on a boat who ride on boats all the time. And just by his word, he calms the waves, stills the storm. Jesus is more powerful than the forces of nature. I have four children. We've been on road trips. I've said, quiet, be still, and it meant nothing. <laughs> I used to teach math and chemistry. I've said, quiet, settle down. It's meant nothing. Jesus talks to wind and waves, and they obey him. He's the master of the sea, billows his will obey. Jesus says to the disciples, why are you so cowardly? Do you yet have no faith? Jesus chastises the disciples. They have the Lord of the universe, the creator in the flesh, right on board with them, and they're worried. But haven't we been there? Now we can turn the storm into a metaphor. Haven't we worried to the point of wondering if Jesus cares? Because I think we believe in our heads that Jesus is great and powerful. Then when we're struggling, we say, don't you care that I'm perishing? Don't you care that I'm struggling? Don't you care that I'm broke? 
Don't you care that I'm frustrated with my spouse? Don't you care that my company is downsizing? Don't you care? And maybe Jesus is saying, why are you so faint-hearted? Do you still have no faith? After Jesus calms this literal storm, the disciples are awestruck. They're overwhelmed. It's like looking at the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls. Their their breath was taken away. They they were terrified. Who who is this? And as, as Mark tells the story, before we can even process what's going on, he's got us on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and they meet this guy who's been in the cemetery, and he's uncontrollable. He breaks his chains, and, you know, crazy cemetery man is known in the community. And he confronts Jesus, and they have a conversation. Now, I don't have time to read the first part of chapter 5. Some of you may know the story, because this guy is saying, Jesus, this is not time. What do you have to do with us? And Jesus says, what's your name? He says, it's Legion. There's many of us in here. Jesus casts the demons out of the guy, and they beg to stay in the area, it says in the text. So he sends them into pigs. The pigs go running down the hill and commit porcicide. They all jump into the water and and die. People are now freaking out. Who is this? They saw a guy that they knew was crazy, or I don't know if you're supposed to say crazy more, but he was an unstable cemetery man with superhuman strength to break the chains, and they kind of got used to him. Now this guy, Jesus, gets out of a boat, and he has the power to subdue cemetery man, and they transfer their fear of legion onto Jesus. But the proper response should be one of faith, not fear. Jesus is more powerful than the devil and the devil's work. And you might think, well, Dennis, I'm too sophisticated to believe in demons, and that's what the devil's counting on. And keep in mind that we're not fighting against people, but against the spiritual forces of wickedness that are at work in the spiritual realm. That's how Paul says it to the Ephesians. Evil is all around us, and people are afraid. Our country's afraid. I mean, we've been on eggshells as a country since 9-11. Flying used to be fun, now it's a hassle because we're afraid. Our country, which already didn't have a good track record of dealing with people who aren't white or who have a foreign accent, developed a real phobia toward anyone who has stereotypical Middle Eastern names or features. Scared of dark-skinned people. And dark-skinned people are often afraid back because we don't know where we're going, if that's going to be a trouble spot or not. And, And evil isn't always obvious. It can be subtle. Scripture tells us that the devil masquerades as an angel of light. But even so, we can't be afraid. We can't be overwhelmed by evil. We can't be afraid of the devil. Our attitude, even with the reality of evil all around us, cannot be one of fear. It has to be one of faith. Jesus is more powerful than the forces of nature, but he's also more powerful than the devil and his minions. And he proves it there as he cast the legion out of that man, left him clothed in his right mind, a changed man. Yeah. But there's more. The end of chapter 4 took us to chapter 5 with Jesus and legion. But then we get to the passage that Pastor Bob read for us. We meet Jairus, a synagogue leader, who, who comes up to Jesus pleading that he would come and heal his daughter. 
this synagogue leader, respected man, has a, has a daughter who's sick. And Jesus agrees to come to the man's house and to heal the daughter. But you see in the story how Mark has woven two stories together because while we're on the way to Jairus' house, we get interrupted by the backstory of a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Now, he doesn't talk about all kinds of Jewishness and stuff, but we, we think we know that she's ceremonially unclean. We think we know even where she's bleeding from. But, but, but be that as it may, it's hard for her to get out the house and do what needs to be done. She's had doctors for 12 years, spent all her money, and she's still sick. And she reckons, if I can just get to Jesus, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be all right. She does it, and she is. But, but she's scared. So Jesus says, who touched me? I'm from New York. I've ridden on subways most of my life. I went to D- then lived in D.C. There's Metro. I've been on that for years. I'm used to being in crowds of people. Not that I like it, but I'm used to being in crowds. And I can imagine being in a crowd. I've been in crowds in the National Mall in D.C. And thinking, how do you say who touched me when everybody's touching everybody? And that's what the disciples in essence said to him. Jesus, you see the crowd. How, how are you asking who touched me? But they find the woman. And did you notice in the text it says when she was there, she was trembling with fear. Trembling with fear. And Jesus says to her daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. No more fear. Jesus had the disciples find this woman, but he wants her whole in body and in soul. She's not only free from the bleeding, she need not be afraid of anything. Go in peace. Shalom. He wants her secure. Now, I'm not here to tell you that every disease will be healed on this side of glory. But I can say Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. And if he doesn't heal now, he has already promised that one day the curse will be reversed and these corruptible bodies will put on incorruption. Hallelujah. We will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Thank you for the amen. I don't, I don't know any other, I don't know anybody else that teaches that. So we can say amen. We will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Therefore, we need not fear. Our faith will lead to healing in this life or the next. And I, I tell you, Jesus is more powerful than the forces of nature. He's more powerful than the devil. He's more powerful than sickness. I, I don't know how you have dealt with some of the sicknesses around you. Maybe you have been impacted by it, and we have, certainly. My mother died of cancer. Susan's mother died of cancer. Our daughter, Joanna, fought cancer, uh, breast cancer. Uh, I'm sick of it. Sickness is real. But I'm telling you, Jesus is more powerful, even in the face of of what frightens us. So here we are with one more story, perhaps touching on the thing that that we most fear. We've talked about the forces of nature, the devil and his work, sickness, and now we confront death itself. Jairus is there while Jesus is dealing with this woman. And I, I can only imagine 
if I were Jairus, my feet would be tapping. I'd be biting my fingernails like, you're dealing with this woman, but my daughter, remember, we're supposed to go there. And while it's going on, it says in the text, while Jesus is speaking, these servants arrive and say, don't bother to teach her anymore. Your daughter's dead. Can you imagine Jairus? And Jesus then gives a nervous and frightened Jairus a short and powerful pep talk. He says, don't be afraid. Just believe. Sisters and brothers, perhaps that word to Jairus is a word for us right now. Don't be afraid. Just believe. When Jesus arrives at the home of Jairus, he declares that the little girl is only sleeping. The girl was about 12, you know, alive as long as that woman had been bleeding. And, and that woman was healed because of her faith. This little girl is raised to life because of her daddy's faith. In every case, faith has conquered the fear. Jesus has done it. He's revived someone who has died. And I think that death is perhaps our greatest fear. And Jesus has proven himself to be more powerful than death itself. When we spread the word about our, our daughter-in-law, Kristen, being in a coma, my new colleague at North Park, Dr. Max Lee, immediately started praying. And he said his family had been praying every day. And he was, oh my goodness, wonderfully committed. And then he said the Lord gave him this verse. It's in this chapter where Jesus says, Talitha kum, little girl, I say to you, get up. And he said he was praying that, that Kristen would hear the Lord's voice. My daughter, get up. Now I've come to realize that being in a coma allows the body to heal. So we don't need to rush it. But Kristen is up from the coma and gaining strength through her rehab. And we thank God for what he's done. Amen. Look, I know that having faith is not always easy. If you, if you have time to look back later, you'll see in all four stories, faith and fear are set against one another in all four stories. Faith and fear are contrasted. It's, but, but faith isn't easy. I mean, it's supernatural. It's being sure of what we don't see. And I tell you, to have faith, this is not a new thing. But it's my job to remind you of some things that you already know. Faith is the antidote to fear. And faith is not an abstract thing. We cannot have faith in just anyone or anything. Faith must be placed in the right object. You don't trust a plumber to do surgery on your body no matter how much you like your plumber. And you don't trust your soul to just any philosophy or any person because it sounds good. We place our faith in the only one who has demonstrated that he's worthy of our trust, the Lord Jesus. And if you also know that it's not the size of your faith that matters, it's the object. We live in a society obsessed with size. Bigger cars, bigger houses, bigger bank accounts, bigger sandwiches, bigger burgers at the fast food store. We're convinced that bigger must be better. When it comes to faith, you don't have to start out big. You don't have to have Costco-sized faith. You can have mustard seed-sized faith. And know that mountains can be moved. The amount of faith, yes, it will increase over time. But even with a tiny bit of faith, as long as it's in Jesus, we can experience a peace that transcends human understanding. We can know that the end will be better than the beginning. We can know that with God, all things are possible. So my hope today has simply been to remind us that Jesus is greater than our fears. I know you know this. 
You have depended upon it all your life as a believer. But if you're going through any season of change, of challenge, of something that makes you anxious, I believe God wants to reinforce for you that it's never good to give in to the fear. Our fears may prevent us from experiencing the wholeness, the shalom that God intends for us. Instead of fear, keep the faith. Be sure of what we hope for, certain of what you don't see. Have no fear. Jesus is here. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.